And thank you, Cody, for uh, filling in for Chris. We have a number of other members that are out, I know, uh, many sick, so we want to pray for them, others that are out of town. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's good to be able to be in your house on this last day of the year. What better way to end the year than to meet with God's people and worshiping the true and living God. And we pray, Father, that you would meet with us by your Spirit as you have promised to do, where two or more are gathered. And we thank you for that promise, Father. We thank you, Father, for your Word. And we pray that as we look into your Word this day, that your Spirit would guide us into truth and give us understanding of this truth. We thank you, Father, that you are the one that ordained your church and that you are the one that sets up officers in your church. And we pray that we would have the understanding that we need to have the right men in that office. We pray, Father, that you would be with those unable to be with us this day. You know their reasons and their needs. We know that many are ill. We pray that your healing hand would be upon their body and that you would be pleased to restore their health quickly. We often take our health for granted until we are sick, Father, and then we realize how blessed we are to enjoy life each day fruitfully, benefiting from all your blessings that you give us. And we pray, Father, for those that are away, that you would watch over them as they worship elsewhere and that you would bring them back to us safely. We pray for those, Father, that might not be here due to lack of concern for their own spiritual needs. Pray that you'd bring conviction into their lives and that they would not forsake the assembling together of the brethren. Pray for our sisters' churches throughout the world, Father, as the gospel is proclaimed this day that many would come into your kingdom. We pray for your protection over those, Father, who are in harm's way for preaching the gospel and that you would use them to proclaim your truth and protect their lives. And Father, by their ministry that my, many would come to Christ. We pray even today as this sermon is proclaimed, Father, that those within this congregation that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation for them. And all of this we pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, we begin reading with verse 17 through the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 17. <clears throat> From Miletus we, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia... In what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plot of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was helpful, proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also Greek repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ." And see, now I am bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testified in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God." And indeed, now I know that you always, that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed of yourself to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves would come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also from among yourself men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparels. Yes, you yourself know that these hands have provided for my necessities and those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must labor, you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord that He said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And when He had these things, He knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, saw most all that the word which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. We're continuing to look at the elder office and the pastor's office and the shepherd's office. I could go on and on because I've already used all the terms that we have mentioned in earlier sermons. Of course, we took the month of December off as we looked at the incarnation of Christ. Now, I want to give a brief review of what we looked at in the past to update you to where we are today. We have primarily looked at the character and the qualifications of the elder pastor found in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, and Titus 1, 6 through 9. The kind of man that the elder pastor must be. And Paul gives very clear instructions to us about that. Now, it's sad that we live in a day when many churches ignore those clear instructions. And I must say the reason why the church today, in many cases, are in sad conditions is because they have ignored the instructions that God has given us in His Word. Matter of fact, any church that ignores God's Word in reality cannot be called a church, can it? If you ignore God's Word, you're not a church. And we see that happening in our day. We see the majority of the problems that we're having as far as Christianity is concerned is due to not following what God's Word says pertaining to this very subject of the elder pastor. Now, the majority of churches today have no understanding of these qualifications and the characteristics. They have no understanding of the role of a pastor, which is to say. And what we need is a new reformation. Now, of course, when you talk about reformation, most people don't understand what you're talking about. The majority of people do not understand what the reformation even consisted of and why there was a reformation. I must admit that I didn't even come to truly understand the reformation until my late 20s, even after I had been through seminary. Of course, going to a Southern Baptist seminary, it did mention it in our Baptist history class. And I should say it was very briefly mentioned, even though I had a good um, Baptist teacher, uh, professor there at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary back in the late 70s. And I remember him even mentioning the Reformation and Martin Luther, but I don't remember a whole lot more than that. But I do remember one occasion in talking to one particular individual at New Orleans Seminary, he had shared with me about a pastor who decided that he was going to show a film about Martin Luther at his little small country church, and he was going to show it the next Sunday. Well, that particular week, he ended up getting fired that he was going to show this particular film in his church because some of the deacons thought he was going to be showing a film about Martin Luther King. But that's about the knowledge of most people when it comes to who Martin Luther was as far as Baptists are concerned. People don't realize who Martin Luther was and what he did. They don't realize how the church had gone astray. 
how the church had perverted the gospel with the ceremonies and idolatry and all their practices, and therefore there needed to be reformation. And Martin Luther's purpose was not to form a new church. His purpose was to reform the church. And he sought to reform the church. And of course, you know what happened to Martin Luther. Your people here that have been taught that, and you're smart about that. And of course, he stood strongly on his uh, 95 theses and what needed to change. And of course, as a result of standing firm on that, he was, quote, put out of the church and they tried to seek him out and kill him. But we are thankful that the Lord protected him. But the church needed reforming. But we have to also remember that the church is always needing to be reformed. We as a church must constantly be reforming. Reforming, lining ourselves up with the Scriptures. If we are God's church, then therefore we must look at Scriptures and see what Scripture says and seek to apply God's Word in every way. And even in this position of the elder pastor as we have been looking at. And it's my responsibility as elder pastor to remind you of what we must be doing. It's my responsibility to press upon you God's Word, to cause you to think about your own life and how you have grown spiritually. Are you more Christ-like here on December the 31st, 2023, than you were on January 1st, 2023? Think about that. Have you grown in grace this past year? Do you have a greater love for Christ? Do you have a greater love for His kingdom? Do you have a greater love for His people? Are you more faithful in your spiritual walk with Him? Are you spending more time in prayer? Are you more faithful in your worship? Are you more faithful in serving? Are you more faithful in your witnessing? And I could go on and on. In other words, it's always good to take inventory, right? To examine yourself, to see if you've grown. This past week, one of my daughters was uh, sending us a text about her own family. And she put on there how each one of the children had grown physically. You know, such and such has grown two inches. Such and such has grown three inches. Well, that's good. That's exciting. They love to see that. Didn't you used to love to do that when you were little? I don't know about y'all, but in most houses, there was a particular door. And on that door, they had the names. And beside the name where they would mark, mom would mark us. And you'd put your name and how tall you were, and then you'd come back. I'd like to be measured every month or week or so because I wanted to grow, but I wasn't growing. I was very short at that time. I'm not much taller now, but I was very short as a kid, kind of like my grandson uh, Jude. He wants to be six foot, and he's not tall at all right now. Hopefully he'll grow. But anyway, you know, so in other words, you'd go look at it, and you'd love to see if there was any growth in that. Well, the same way spiritually, right? We want to look at it and see if we've grown. And it's a good thing for us to do, to see if we have grown in our spirituality. Also, do you look forward to 2024? Because you see this as a year of great spiritual progress. An opportunity to be more faithful in each one of those areas that I just mentioned. Now, Paul takes some inventory here in this particular passage in chapter 20. He looks back at what he has done as far as his ministry is concerned. And he gives this farewell sermon to the elders there at Ephesus. Now from this sermon we can learn what the primary duty of an elder pastor is. Now let me give a little bit of background what we have here as far as what's taking place in Acts chapter 20, Paul, of course, as he says, is on his way to Jerusalem. He believes that he needs to go to Jerusalem and, of course, preach the gospel. Of course, who's in Jerusalem? Well, those that are in Jerusalem are those that he had formerly been cohorts with, but now they have turned against him. Remember, they are the very ones that wanted to put him to death and he had to escape and flee and get out of there. 
So now he's going back. And he knows what possibly awaits him. Now, he's on the ship, and the ship pulls into the port of Miletus, and he sees this as an opportunity by God to be able to preach a message to the elders from Ephesus. So he sends a note to the elders, and they come to meet him there. And of course, Luke evidently was with him because Luke is recording this for us here in the book of Acts, and he records Paul's sermon. Now, this is the only sermon in the book of Acts that Paul delivers to Christians. He delivers other sermons, but this is the only one that he delivers to Christians. So it has special quality in it, and we could say that it's its farewell sermon. Now, in some ways, it is similar to Jesus' farewell sermon to His disciples on the night before His crucifixion. There's a lot of parallelism here. When He was there in the upper room, the night before He faced the cross, and He emphasized the care that the disciples, the apostles, were to have for the church of God. Now, Paul calls elders... And later he calls them overseers. And then later he calls them shepherds of the flock. So we see that these terms, elder, bishop, which we looked at before, and shepherds are interchangeably. That's the reason why we say that these terms refer to one man. We disagree with the Anglican church that there's a bishop. No, we say there's a pastor, no bishop. The word bishop is... Same as pastor. We disagree with others that would have some kind of leader of the church like a bishop. We believe that there's one man, one overseer, one shepherd, one elder, which is all formed in a pastor. Now Paul begins his sermon to them by reminding them of his faithfulness in the ministry there in verses 18 through 21 and how he was faithful to the task that God had given him in preaching the gospel. Now they had seen his faithfulness. They knew that he served with great humility, with tears and trials. He never backed down from proclaiming the truth, but proclaimed, as he says, the whole counsel of God. He didn't tickle the ears of his hearers. He he seeks to make sure that he delivers God's word adequately. He, he doesn't care about the approval of men. He didn't pick and choose easy passages, but he boldly proclaimed the divine revelation of God. He didn't preach only on the love and the mercy and the grace of God, but he also preached on the wrath, the justice, and the sovereignty of God and salvation. Now this is one of the reasons why it's so important to preach expositorily through, through a passage, through the book, or through the Bible. It's very important that we do that so that we don't pick and choose the easy passages and not deal with the hard one. He lifted up Jesus Christ. He proclaimed the death, burial, and resurrection and the ascension to God's right hand. Sad to say, many pastors are terrified to do what Paul did. And they're not even facing what Paul faced. I mean, Paul faced being stoned to death. Paul faced all kinds of persecution, hatred. But yet, most of us, especially in America, the only thing that we possibly face is being fired. We have no idea of persecution. Yesterday I received from a friend of mine, matter of fact it was from Rusty Bolin, as most of you know, from Fox News and them talking about the persecution of Christianity. You know, just a commercial here, I don't do much promoting on some secular form, but you know, if we did not have Fox News, we wouldn't get any news as far as justified news. And they actually talk about Christianity on Fox News. And they were talking about how Christians are persecuted. And I didn't even know this till yesterday when I listened to it. In Nigeria, 
That's one of the places that we have our African pastors conference. As a matter of fact, I was supposed to go to Nigeria, uh, I think it's about four years ago, and uh, I didn't because of that year we canceled the conference because of uprising there in Nigeria, especially in northern Nigeria. But in Nigeria, in the last 20 years, nearly 100,000 Christians have been put to death. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Nearly 100,000 Christians have been put to death in Nigeria for preaching the gospel. And that's just one country. It lists the 10 worst countries that put Christians to death. Iran is another one. But the church in Iran and the church also in Nigeria is flourishing. The church in Iran, the underground church, is flourishing. The church in China is flourishing. Why? Because of persecution. As the saying goes, the blood of the martyr grows the church. And we're seeing that happen throughout the world. Paul was facing that. We do not face that. One day we may here in America. Now Paul realized what might happen to him if he reaches Jerusalem. He isn't fearful of the chains and the tribulation that awaits him. He simply wants to finish the race with joy. He wants to finish and cross the finish line. Do you realize that the Christian life is a life of self-denial? The minute you become a Christian, you lose your life. Do you understand that? The minute you become a Christian, you lose your life. Now you're a follower of Christ. It's what He wants, not what you want. Now hopefully, now that you've been changed, you want what He wants. You understand that? So you lose your life, you give it up for Christ. And you say to the Lord, Lord, use me in the way that brings you glory. The majority of people who call themselves Christians have no idea about what I'm talking about. The majority who call themselves Christian in America never face anything like what Paul faced. Many church members get mad if you don't pacify them and show them attention in the church today. And that's sad. We're supposed to deny ourselves. We, could, we should care less what other people think about us. Paul did not care about what others thought of him. His great concern was to preach Christ. And this must be the main task of an elder pastor. And in his sermon, Paul gives us very valuable information concerning the elder pastor and his duty. Now why is this so important for us? It's because it's the church's responsibility to appoint the elder pastor. As I've already stated in other sermons, the church must recognize the giftedness of a man. And choosing the right man to be elder pastor is vitally important. It must be done according to what God's Word states for the spiritual benefit of the local church. A mistake in this area can cause much confusion and spiritual damage in the life of a church. And it's done it in many churches. Many churches have divided because not having the right person in this particular position. So it's vital that the church does not err in this particular important subject. Of course, 1 Timothy 1.3 Paul points out, anyone who sets his heart of being an overseer desires a good work. But then he goes on and he says, must be above reproach. And then he gives all the other different qualifications that we've already looked at. Now here in Acts 20, Paul speaks about the elder's duty in addressing these elders there at Ephesus. Now, first of all, we learn something about the church. We learn that the church is not a democracy. We've heard a lot about democracy lately, have we not? If you take President Trump off the ballot, you are destroying democracy. And I agree with that. 
But yet we have to understand that the church is not a democracy. Instead, the church is to be governed by what God's Word says. That God Himself places over the church the elder, the pastor. As we see there in verse 17, these elders of the church. And we see that Paul sent for them. Now why did Paul send for these elders? Because these elders were governing the church and they would go back and rightly govern those churches in Ephesus. We have to realize democracy is not rooted in God's Word. Even though there's those that believe that it is, it's not rooted in God's Word. Democracy came about because of Plato in the 5th century. Now this doesn't mean that there aren't things in Scripture that doesn't support certain truths about democracy. There's some good things about democracy. But many churches think that they are a democracy, that the majority rules. And if a man comes in and he teaches something that the majority don't believe, whether it's biblical or not, then they see fit that, that we can go ahead and do what we want to and the majority rules and remove him. Why do Christians have this particular mindset? Well, one reason is due to what Peter speaks about in 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. He says, Coming to Him as living stones rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up in spiritual houses, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now this talks about the priesthood of the believer. And we definitely believe in the priesthood of the believer. I think it was about 35 years ago, uh, SBC did the January Bible study on the priesthood of believers. One reason I remember that so vividly, there was two particular books that were put out. One was more conservative than the other particular book. And the other particular book really emphasized more as far as the priesthood of believer of their authority in the church and how they more or less were able to rule the church and they really played down the role of the pastor. Now, as a result of that, it caused a lot of problems within the SBC and it opened the door up for what we're still dealing with, and thank goodness they did deal with it this past year at the convention pertaining to women being pastors. Now, we must not forget what Paul, I mean, Peter also says later in his letter. In 1 Peter 5 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So we see that Peter ends his letter emphasizing the role of the overseer. So Peter did not play down the role of the overseer by saying the priesthood of believer trumps it or is equal to it. No, he's seeking to say, yes, there is the priesthood of the believer, but there's also the overseer that even oversees you. It isn't God's will that everyone govern the church of God. God has entrusted certain men to shepherd the people of God. And of course, they must shepherd according to what this book says. Now, of course, the church isn't a dictatorship either. There must be accountability. The shepherd, the elder, the overseer is accountable to God and to God's people. There must be a check and balance set up in the Word of God we see. And God has established His church so that some are appointed to this responsibility of shepherding others. And all are responsible to the great shepherd, Jesus Christ Himself. Now second, the elders who are told to rule over God's people, as I mentioned in an earlier sermon, uh, come, are the words that come from three primary Greek words. 
And as mentioned earlier, all three of them are used in this passage. Episcopos, presbyteros, and pomanio. Those three particular words refer to three different English words that we have. Of course, you also can uh, get different uh, denominations out of this, I guess you would say. You have episcopos. What does episcopos sound like? Episcopalian, see? Episcopalian, you know, on the other side of the ocean, what are they called? Anglican. Well, surely we weren't going to, uh, or they were called the Church of England, I'm sorry, and we call it England. But the Church of England, surely when the Church of England came over here, we weren't going to call it the Church of England, right? No. So therefore, it's called Episcopalian. And then you have Presbyteros, who, what denomination? Well, Presbyterian. They believe in ruling elders. And then the last one there, Promato, which we have from that particular word, shepherd. Now, the first word, episkopos, which is translated overseer or bishop, primarily refers to his spiritual authority that he has as a result of Scripture. There in verse 28, it refers to that. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. So it's the Holy Spirit that makes them overseer, gives them the authority. And then presbyteros, uh, which is also referred to the spiritual maturity. Like I said, that word transfers over to elder. Uh, an elderly person, elder. So in other words, you're looking at maturity, the maturity of that person, spiritual maturity. Uh, don't lay on hands on a novice, a young Christian, but one that is mature in the faith. And then the very last word, pomano, is translated shepherd, pastor, Spiritual responsibility. Again, there in verse 28, it refers to that. Now, as I've already said, each of these words are interchangeably. The man of God is called to be a shepherd of God's people. And he's to be one that has a spiritual authority, spiritual maturity, and responsibility. Now, notice also in that particular verse there in 28, it says, The Holy Spirit is the one that made you overseer. So it's the Holy Spirit that makes a person an elder. It's the Holy Spirit that makes him the shepherd. It's the Holy Spirit that makes him the overseer. So as a result of that, he serves God faithfully. In other words, it's not mama that makes us one. It's not being an eloquent speaker that makes us a pastor. No, it's that internal call and external call. The internal call, the work of the Holy Spirit, external call, the people recognize that, that God has placed His hand on that person. Now, pastor must learn much about shepherding a congregation. And he learns that from shepherding his own family. Notice what Paul says there in 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5, One who rules his own household well, having his children in submission with all reverence, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So in other words, in his home as the father, as the ruler of his own home, he learns how to govern God's people, how to treat God's people. Now that doesn't mean that he does everything, Right? I mean, he has a wife. He's just the overseer of the home. The wife sometimes does more than he actually does. I know that was in my case. I mean, uh, in our home, my wife homeschooled our children. She cooked the meals. She had them help. She was overseeing, we could say, the home as I was overseeing her and the work that was going on there. Now, likewise, the pastor is responsible for overseeing everything that goes on in the church. That's his responsibility. He must oversee all of it because he must give an account one day to God for what takes place. Now, pastors are not to be lord over the congregation in a domineering way. Even though God has set him over the congregation, they must rule in a manner as Christ ruled. 
and an example before the congregation. Therefore, the congregation is submit and obey them in their ministerial duties, for they are to watch over your very soul, care for you as Christ would have them care for you. No one is saying that he has absolute authority over the conscience of men. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, now we're often guilty of seeking to be the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about just pastors. I'm talking about all of us. We can all be guilty of trying to be the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. You cannot bring conviction to anybody's life. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. We must pray. Now, you can make somebody feel guilty... And you can make, as a result of making somebody feel guilty, they have worldly sorrow, Paul tells us. What you want to do is you want the Spirit of God to bring conviction, to stab them in the heart to where they will confess their sin and repent of their sin and turn away from their sin, right? That's the work of the Spirit of God. That's not the work of a pastor. The pastor is simply to proclaim the Word of God and pray that the Word of God by the Holy Spirit will be driven into the heart of those that need to repent of their sins. So therefore, it's important that we make sure that we pray for the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the pastor is also to encourage the members to be joyful in serving to God, in worshiping God, in pursuing holiness, in knowing Christ and His work. That brings true joy and peace into their life. A pastor is the under-shepherd of God's flock, which God has given him to care for. He will have to give an account one day in how he ministered to God's flock. Now, folks, I must tell you, that's a fearful thing. It really is. And those men that are in this congregation that are preparing for the ministry, if you don't understand that now, you will understand it one day when you have your own congregation to shepherd over. It's a fearful thing. He has to set a good example before the flock in word conversation, in love, in humility, in faith, in purity, in leading in good works, in teaching doctrine, in living a holy life before them. It's an awesome calling that no man really feels adequate in being able to do. He can't do it in his own strength. He can only do it by the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no doubt about that. Now, of course, that's the Christian life. But yet all of us have to realize that the Christian life and the pastor's life is a little bit different. Now that doesn't mean that a Christian is not to seek to have the same qualifications and duties and fulfill the things that the pastor is called to do. No, he's, he's supposed to be pursuing holiness just as the pastor is. But yet this office is an office that God Himself has set up and He has placed individuals in that office to fulfill this role to govern and lead the people of God, to shepherd them. Now, as the under-shepherd of God's flock, He must follow Christ in dealing with the flock in gentleness, meekness, humility. But there are times He must oppose men in their sin and inadequacies, just as Jesus did. I mean, remember what Jesus had to tell Peter? Get thee behind me, Peter. Of course, He spoke harsh words to all of the disciples at certain times. Why? For the sake of the truth. And a pastor often has to do that. And there'll be times that there's individuals who will get upset when a pastor does that. But a pastor must do that for the sake of the gospel. Now notice there in verse 29, he says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. You see, savage wolves will come into the church. Who are those? Well, they're false shepherds. They must be exposed because they will destroy souls of men. They will lead men astray. They will lead them into damnation. And you are to care for the flock. Protect the flock. Just as a shepherd would protect the sheep from savage wolves. That's what he's given a parallel there. 
That's his duty to do everything he can to protect the sheep. And that sometimes means naming names. And you know I've done that from this pulpit for the sake of the gospel. There may be men that seem very pleasant. They may be men that are very articulate. Uh, they may be men that make you feel good. But if they don't believe what this book says and they're not grounded in this book, then they must be exposed in the way that they are. Because we're talking about eternal life here and eternal death. Now Paul exhorts those to be watchful and remember what he's preached. That he preached out of love for them. And a great desire to see them increase in their faith. Become more Christ-like. See, that's the great desire of a pastor. To see each one of you growing in the Spirit. Becoming more like Christ. Putting off the old man and putting on the new man. That's the pastor's greatest desire, to see you rightly applying God's Word. My desire is not to stand at that door and have you come by and pat me on the hand and just say simply, that's a good sermon today, Pastor. No, my desire is for that sermon to be driven into your heart and when you leave this place, you have been changed by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, that you're becoming more like Christ. My desire is for every one of us to grow, to be more faithful. Faithful to Christ, not to me. You're not to be faithful to me. You're to be faithful to Christ. Oh, I'm not going to miss church because I'll disappoint Pastor Thomas. No, you don't say, I'm not going to church because I'm going to disappoint Pastor Thomas. No, disappoint Christ. See, Christ is a sinner. And everything that we do must be focused upon Him. And that's the pastor's responsibility is to cause you to focus upon Christ. So therefore, it's a pastor's responsibility to admonish, to counsel, to advise, to lead, to rebuke, to instruct. And like I said, A pastor doesn't always enjoy doing those things, but he must do those things. It's just like a father. A father, if he enjoys disciplining his children, something's wrong. Some of you don't understand that. Some of you are going to be having a child real soon. I think four of us, matter of fact, are going to be adding children. Some of you already have children. But once you have that child and you have to discipline them, it hurts. You know, those saying, and I remember my parents said it to me, you know, this hurts me more than you. And I didn't understand that when I was sitting there being whipped with a switch and I was saying, yeah, mom, uh-huh, yeah, I know it hurts you a lot more. Uh-huh, no, I don't believe that, mom. But when I got to be a dad, I understood that. Not until you become a father do you understand that. But when you look back and you understand why they did it, Then you take great joy that you had parents that cared about you and disciplined you. And I hope that's the same way that you understand that when I use harsh things and say harsh things to you and rebuke you and advise you and you don't like it, I hope that eventually the Spirit of God causes you to see why I said those things and that you thank God that God used this feeble individual to cause you to see the truth of God's Word and apply God's Word to your life as the shepherd, under-shepherd of the sheep. See, sheep must follow the shepherd whom God has given them for the purpose of watching their very souls that they must give an account. John Gill says, Pastors are spiritual fathers and children should obey their parents and submit to them. They are ambassadors of Christ. Stand in His stead and represent Him. Wherefore their authority is great and they are pastors and shepherds of the flock whom the sheep should follow. How important that is. And John Gill understood that. What a great responsibility he says there in Hebrews 13, 17. For they watch over your soul as they must give an account. They watch over the souls of men for their own good, for their own edification, to feed them God's Word, to give them knowledge and understanding so that they might grow in grace and that they might 
persevere in the faith and become strong in the faith. They must give an account of their own conscience that they have discharged their work in the way that God would have them discharge it. For they are accountable to God and they must stand before Christ one day. It's an awesome responsibility to commit them, men's soul, under someone's care and charge. Paul says in verse 26, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. He's making reference to Ezekiel 33.6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, the people are not warned. And the sword comes and takes any person from among them. And he's taken away in iniquity. But his blood I will require at that watchman's hand. Paul says, I'm not guilty of that. I have blown the trumpet. I'm not guilty of anyone's blood. I've told them the truth. He had been faithful. He proved his fidelity. And he says there in verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. How a pastor discharges his duty and how those under his care respond determines whether or not His ministry is successful and is filled with joy or grief. When members listen and submit to God's Word, there is much joy in a pastor's heart. Seeing them grow in grace. But yet on the other hand, if members are difficult and disobedient and unfaithful in worship and service, there's very little joy in the pastor's heart. Now I close this morning with the same warning that Paul gives in verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. See, Paul directs them to look upon God with their eyes of faith and beseech God to look down on them with His eyes of mercy and favor and grace. See, Paul commends them not only to God and to His providence, but he commends them to Christ. In His grace, as Christ Himself did to His disciples when He was about to leave them, He said, you believe in God, believe also in Me. See, by the word of His grace, we understand the gospel of Christ. For it is Christ in the word that is near unto us for our support and our encouragement. His word and His spirit and His life. Take hold of the Word. God gives you benefit and comfort in it. And you need no more. If you have Christ, you have all that you need, is what Paul is saying. And he commends them to the Word of God's grace, not only to the foundation of their hope, but the foundation of their joy, but also as their rule of their life, as they walk in this world. He's saying, I commend you to God as your Maker, whom you are to serve. And I have found Him to be a good Master. And to the Word of grace as cutting you out your work, cutting out your work, and by you govern yourself. Observe the principle of this Word and then live upon its Promises. How in the world can anyone enter into a new year without Christ? Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Why would you reject Christ when He so freely offers salvation to you? Why would you go another year 
without the forgiveness that only He can give, why would you not repent and look to Him today for salvation? Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You for Your truth given to us in Your Word. We thank You for how You have set up Your church and how You have given Your church officers, especially the office of the overseer, the shepherd, the elder. And Father, we pray that You would use this elder to lead Your people in a manner that's pleasing to You. Do not let him error. Do not let him go astray. But cause him to be faithful to the task that You have given him. And Father, we pray that You are in the process of raising up others to join him here at Grace Baptist Church. We thank You, Father, for what Paul says in this passage pertaining to their role and their duty in leading the people and calling the people to follow Christ. And this has been proclaimed this day, Father, and we pray that as Your Spirit works in this place, that You would be pleased to draw men and women and children to Yourself. That Christ would be seen, that Christ would be lifted up. And that men and women and children would repent of their sins and enter into this new year in Christ. Do not allow any to be deceived this morning, Father, but Father, we pray that You would open their eyes to the truth, their truth that they need Christ, Christ as Lord of their life. And we pray, Father, that we as Christians would see this new year that is coming upon us as another opportunity to grow in grace and to become more like Christ, and to be more faithful. And may we make a commitment this day, Father, to be so, to be faithful to You, to bring honor and glory to Your name. And this we pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing, All Glory Be to Christ.